if something that I did caused harm, I want us to be able to talk or find a way to repair. And this is not easy work for any of us to do. But if that could become more of the norm and our ability to give feedback, because without having healthy feedback loops and learning how to give and receive feedback, that is feedback with the skills of compassion and empathy and observation language with a DEI lens, we actually can learn from each other. I don't like to argue, so I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody, so sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach devoted to helping you have more peace and more harmony in all your relationships. This is part two of a conversation with my first compassionate communication teacher, Nancy Khan. If you haven't listened to part one, check out podcast number 51. In this part of the conversation, Nancy shares with us about the fluid aspect of power and the important questions we need to ask ourselves to be able to ensure that we are creating a safe workspace that leads to thriving for all. Another big piece, is, especially working within organizations, is power hoarding, the way that some people have power, positional power, power from privilege. And we have to really keep remembering that if people are not willing to share power or if they're using their power in ways that are oppressive to other people, harm is happening in those moments. And we have to keep looking at how these power dynamics play out. And power is its energy. We shift in and out of different power dynamics within different roles in our lives constantly. I can say I was the youngest child in my family, so I would say that I had less power at a certain point than my siblings or my parents. But then over the years, as I became adult, my siblings and I, one would think, oh, we still have we have shared power together. And in some ways we do, but in some ways those roles are still there. So just looking at how that power can be fluid. And then in our lives, in different settings, we, have, we can look at what are our privileges, what are some of the dominant traits that or identities that we have where we have privilege. And with privilege, sometimes there's power. And in other moments, we may not have the same. So for example, in this country, because English is my first language, that could be seen as a privilege and being able to have power in my world because somebody isn't going to question or put down how I'm speaking English or my ability to speak English. And that happens to people in this country who don't speak English as their first language. And that is so tragic that we will form these types of judgments about other people as if one is better than another instead of let's just look at the differences and embrace them and enjoy them. Yes, and as you were sharing your own examples, so many of of them were just coming to mind, especially with speaking English as a second language. I'm an English as a second language learner and speaker. And I can't tell you how many times, especially when I came to the U.S. first uh, many years ago, 
people would speak louder to me. That's not just my experience. It's the experience of so many speakers of English as a second or third language. No, in fact, I used to feel so pained when I would, if I ever witnessed somebody who seemed to be looking down on somebody who was speaking English or, you know, really working to try to speak English because I was aware that, oh my gosh, not only do they know their language or other languages, they're also trying to speak English. I mean, to me, that's extraordinary. Years ago, Nancy, you introduced me to the language of being an ally. I don't know if you remember this, but you introduced that to me and to a group of about, I don't know, 20, 25 people who gathered in my house in San Francisco when we asked you, can you please teach us this at a time that nobody was talking about these things? And of course, there's so much work to do, as you mentioned. What are some things that you say to people now who want to be an ally, who want to communicate in anti-racist, anti-oppressive ways and have that shared power that you were talking about? An ally is somebody who may have privilege and positional power. Often people who might identify as white or cisgendered or in any way that you may experience more privilege in the society. It's realizing how you can use your privilege to support when you're aware that racism is present or dynamics are present that are oppressive to different groups of people. One great question to keep reminding oneself is, whose experience are we centering in this moment? Mm. Because we don't always think about that. We're so used to centering the experiences of white dominant culture. So anything that you're doing, what action, conversation, communication, who does this benefit? Is it benefiting BIPOC folks? Because if you can attend to the needs of BIPOC people, and whether it's Black, Indigenous, people of color, or people who have intersectional identities and LGBTQ and all the other ways that we can show up around ableism, ageism, all of our differences, if we can attend to the people who have been targeted and who have been discriminated against and oppressed and make sure that their needs are being attended to and they're being treated with dignity and respect, everybody will experience dignity and respect. And so the more that we also question, there's a third question, which is if whatever is happening, whether it's a conversation, an action, a behavior, is this actually maintaining the status quo? Or is it disrupting it? So these three questions are extremely powerful in beginning to hold spaces where we are tuning in with a different antenna. And then I like to add on top of those, who am I to the people that I'm in communication with or in a particular setting? What are my identities? And what do I know about the identities of the people that are there? What can I check out? so that I'm not operating from assumptions? What are the power dynamics also? The more that we keep coming back to these particular questions, for me, are ways that we can begin to create spaces where we're being accountable to the beautiful values of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. But it's a constant, vigilant, staying alert practice because we can easily slide into what feels really normal 
which is white dominant culture. So it's in the questions where that aliveness, openness, and possibility for safety and shared power really lies. Yes. I mean, there are simple things that have been... So, for example, I first introduced microaggressions to the nonviolent communication community that I was closely working with. It was 15 years ago. I remember when it came out, or 17 years ago, when I first found that, and I was like, this is so great. Finally, there's some way to name the thing that's going on that's so elusive and so difficult to like put your wrap around and for people to understand what is it that is not working here? What is it that is problematic? So it's, you can start to say, oh, that's what that is. We have a way to describe it. Like now we've got all these terms, whether it's white fragility, unconscious bias, microaggressions, because we're trying to name a dynamic that's going on so that we can stop and really be intentional about how we're relating to people, how we're communicating to people so that people are able to maintain their sense of care and awareness so that we stop harm and prevent harm. And I use the word harm a lot. And for me, if somebody says that they're experiencing harm, that's their experience. We don't have to qualify it. It's what their experience is. And when harm happens, it doesn't mean that wrongdoing has happened, but Mm -hmm. it is important to be able to attend to the harm so that we can restore trust or develop trust because from trust we also can have more connection and there's more there to be able to dialogue from yeah Mm. that's so beautiful and it can bring so much healing not just to BIPOC to all of us and that's something that I think it's like one of the big gold nuggets of this conversation that you shared Nancy that when We communicate with respect and dignity and care and make space for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. We make the possibility for respect, care, safety, and dignity to be there for all of us. And it's something that enriches us all as a human family. It doesn't take away from the group that has the respect and care and dignity, it doesn't take away, it just expands and nourishes us all. Yes, absolutely. And I want to say that there's a skill set and there's also capacity building that occurs when we begin to do this work. One, I have to first educate myself, to educate myself about these concepts about history, there's a level of critical knowledge that I want to acquire, that I want all people to acquire. Because if we can understand what's happened in history, then we can understand how we can do things differently moving forward. So there's that piece, there's the knowledge building. Then there's the important communication skills. How do we communicate where we don't project our stories onto other people, our assumptions onto other people? How do we communicate with empathy and compassion and really with wanting to create spaces where people feel like their voices matter, even if we don't agree with our beliefs, and, but that 
we matter and that we can feel free to share the things that are important to us. And then beyond that, we also need to develop the ability to self-reflect and to defend ourselves so that we don't arm up and shield ourselves and get reactive and try to defend these different identities. I think and that's what's difficult about this work. It's, it's unlike a lot of other things that people learn. We have a lot of unlearning and then relearning to do. And one of the things that I've seen that occurs, particularly for white people who begin to do diversity, equity, inclusion work, is first of all, their cherished values may feel threatened if somebody says, you know, oh, that sounded racist, you know, especially for liberal white people who want to trust that they're known for their deep heart and care for people, that they want to, they believe in equality. However, what we're really speaking about is it's more of the patterns of thinking and communicating that are unconscious that do not support inclusion and equity for everyone. So we've got to be able to catch those, see when they're happening within us, and then be intentional about how we communicate differently. I love this piece about self-reflection, about not pointing the finger at others and using terms like, oh, that's racist when someone says something. But also, I'm thinking not pointing the finger at ourselves because I've seen so many people doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, then falling into and wallowing into a guilt that's also not useful. But be able to maturely look at how are we perpetuating that status quo and what can we do to disrupt it? Because if we wallow in the self-guilt and the self-deprecation, then what I usually say is like, we're bringing all that spotlight to ourselves. And then we don't have room to take action. We don't have room for something different to occur. We don't have the capacity. We don't feel the capacity to disrupt because we just stay in the Oh, poor me. We need to move past that. Yeah. And to remember that we're all in this together. None of us are free of this kind of thinking. We have to work at it. So even BIPOC people can have the same kinds of thinking and enact those same behaviors and patterns on other BIPOC people. Part of it is, again, are we able to unlearn? And a lot of it is how we talk about and respond around power differences our expectations and our assumptions of what is right, wrong, or should be happening, those are cues to us. Anytime I think this should, blah, blah, that's a great reminder. Let me look at my assumptions. And again, who gets to control the narrative about what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable, but we're being shaped by all these different beliefs and standards and norms. And most of them were not developed by by people. Wow, Nancy, I know that you and I could talk for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks on end, at least. And you have such a rich wealth of caring, loving, compassionate wisdom. And I truly thank you for that. I want to say to people that 
If you want to learn more about Nancy, well, one of the ways is listening to her radio program, the Talk It Out Radio on Sunday nights at KPFA 94.1 FM. And you can also learn more about Nancy at compassnarratives.com. And Talk It Out Radio also has a website, Talk It Out Radio dot wordpress.com i'm going to add all these links in the show notes nancy is there one last comment or anything that you'd like to say before we say goodbye just for today yeah i think that through all of my journey as well the thing that i'm feeling most excited about is how we can develop more of a culture of being able to talk about harm where we don't recoil away from each other where we actually can say you know i just did If something that I did caused harm, I want us to be able to talk or find a way to repair. And this is not easy work for any of us to do, but that if that could become more of the norm and our ability to give feedback, because without having healthy feedback loops and learning how to give and receive feedback, that is feedback with the skills of compassion and empathy and observational language with a DEI lens we actually can learn from each other and create a culture where it's okay if we're going to say something that's going to be a stimulus for another person and the other person might experience harm. But it's how we attend to that. And it's how we are able to repair and restore and heal together. That's important. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again, dear Nancy. Thank you. Well, I'm so proud of you and so thrilled for all that you're creating, too. I'm really proud of you. You're giving so much to the world, Alejandra. I'm so grateful for the work you do and for having said yes to being a guest at the Language Alchemy podcast, especially as the Language Alchemy podcast is turning a year old. In fact, this very episode marks the exact one-year anniversary for the Language Alchemy podcast. And to celebrate, I'm inviting you to participate in the celebration by adding your favorite podcast moments, sharing something you heard in the podcast that supported your communication, or making a request about what you'd like to hear in upcoming episodes. As a thank you for your participation, you will enter into a raffle with great communication presence, including a one-hour transformative communication coaching session with me. To participate in the celebration and the raffle, visit languagealchemy.com forward slash podcast anniversary. You have until August 15th. I'll add the link in the show notes. Thank you, Nancy, for the beautiful work you do. Thank you so much for listening to all of you. And a special thanks to my clients, Brian and Molly, for the work they continue to do to create a thriving workspace for all. Until next week, and as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapone. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com.